Well, today we're going to begin with our interview. Usually we have our interviews in the third hour. Uh, but joining us now, because he's going to be involved in events in New York uh, City uh, today uh, on the anniversary of September 11th, joining us is Richard Gage, uh, AIA, an architect of 30 years from the San Francisco Bay Area, a member of the American Institute of Architects, founder and former CEO of Architects and Engineers for 9-11 Truth. He's now independent. He, along with his courageous wife and assistant, Gail, continues to lead the charge toward a real investigation into the destruction of all three three World Trade Center skyscrapers on 9-11. Uh, you can find him at richardgage911.org. Mr. Gage became interested in researching the destruction of the World Trade Center high-rises after learning, after hearing the startling <coughs> conclusions of the reluctant 9-11 researcher David Ray Griffin on the radio in 2006, which, la which launched his own unyielding quest for the truth about 9-11. The organization he founded, AE 9-11 Truth, now numbers more than 3,500 architects and engineers demanding a new investigation into the destruction of all three World Trade Center high-rise buildings on 9-11. As an architect, he's worked on most types of building construction, including numerous fireproofed steel-framed buildings. Most recently, he worked on the construction documents for a $400 million mixed-use urban project with 1.2 million square feet of retail parking structure and mid-rise office space. Altogether, about 1,200 tons of steel framing. Please welcome Richard Gage, AIA architect. Thank you so much, sir. Thank you, David. It's an honor to be here with you. Well, thank you. Uh, let, let's talk a little bit about uh, the key thing. You know, over my shoulder here is a picture of 9-11 New York City, uh, the commemoration that they put up where they have two beams that are shining up into the sky. Interesting that they didn't do a third one. Let's talk about that third one. Yeah, we did do a third one about, uh, what was it, uh, 10 years ago now. Mm -hmm. we, we actually rented four searchlights, put them on the back of a pickup truck. <laughs> and then uh, from where we were, it looked like three beams. It was all designed to, to be that way. And we, we called the media in downtown, uh, well, around New York and said, there's a third beam in the sky. And we showed it to them and <laughs> tried to create a, a thing out of it. The third beam is about building seven. Yeah. Uh, building seven, uh, most architects and engineers don't even know about the third worst structural failure in modern history. And most people in New York uh, knew about building seven. They didn't know it came down. And most of them didn't know that it went back up again. Um, uh, it, it was rebuilt. <laughs> <laughs> so it's quite a story. On the afternoon of 9-11, about 520, witnesses heard explosions. Then this building drops like a rock straight down uniformly, symmetrically into its own footprint mm -hmm. in under seven seconds. So this is exactly like the old hotels in Las Vegas when they bring them down with controlled demolition. Mm -hmm. the, you know, there's explosions first and then the building drops. Mm -hmm. Well, the building drops at free fall, David, uh, straight, uh, straight down, but free fall means as fast as a bowling ball falling from the sky. So what does that mean? That means that not one of the 81 columns in this building gave any resistance to this seven second long fall. Well, where did they go? There's 40, thousand tons of structural steel framing in this building well nist says that it came down due to normal office fires <laughs> well wait a minute we have never 
in history lost a steel frame fire protected building type one construction uh ever uh due to fires i mean we've had dozens of much hotter larger and longer lasting fires in these buildings yes so not one of them it's and then we've had many fully engulfed fires in these kind of structures after 9-11 but no not one of those came down either so we've got to have a real investigation and in fact fema did that investigation for us and uh others have done it uh, since uh, but right away in 2002 fema finds uh, in the metallurgical exa- uh, sampling of the steel a hot corrosion attack on the steel its author uh, Jonathan Barnett, a fire protection engineer, says the ends of the beams were partly evaporated mm. in extraordinarily high temperatures. Well, what does that mean? Uh, I'll stop and let you. T- yeah. I'll take a breath and you tell it. An ordinary office fire. And, and you know, I, I would just say to the people, because uh, I've done this uh, and uh, I think everybody needs to do this. Just go to YouTube and look up building demolitions. And you can watch that you've got uh, so many videos that have been put up. They just chain one after the other. Watch all those and ask yourself if this is uh, something that just happened out of ordinary office fires. Just not possible that this type of thing would have happened. I remember, you you know, you mentioned that um, uh, it was 2006 when you uh, 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 saw a an interview of the researcher talking about this that got you interested in it. Yeah, now, this happened. Uh, my recollection, we, we didn't have uh, video. We didn't have uh, any television. And so I didn't see any video of it. We had horrible Internet as well at the time in 2001. We were living out in the woods. It, it wasn't we weren't doing some kind of homesteading thing. We were just in an area where it was dead in terms of uh, broadcast signals, in terms of Internet and all the rest of stuff. So I was relying on uh, friends and family calling because we had family in New York. We actually had a family member who was in uh, one of the buildings and then got out. And, and so I'm listening to this. and It's like these planes are hitting the building. Then they call back later and they say one of them just collapsed. And in my mind, I saw this thing going down down at an angle taking out a large part of manhattan it wasn't until years later that i really saw these things going right down into the footprint it's like what what's going on with that you know I, I they said well it didn't hit any other buildings i'm thinking how in the world did that happen and then when i saw it in free fall that was you know when it's like okay okay i know i was mainly concerned with what how they were using this event to take away our liberties uh, but then i saw what that was and it's like oh yeah that that perfectly fits exactly does it really does uh, and, and the evidence it, it, they just give it to us um, i mean hot sulfur corrosion attack on the steel mm-hmm. well uh th- th- guess what fire especially normal office fires do not corrode steel with silver dollar size holes uh it just doesn't happen uh steel is not flammable and yet out of the towers are ejected laterally four and eight ton structural steel sections uh, at 600 uh, landing 600 feet away wow ejected at 80 miles an hour laterally clocked by physicists so these these sections are freely flying you can see them in the videos there's thousands of them and they uh are on fire well steel is not flammable in office fire conditions so here's yet another 
of the dozens of pieces of evidence we're going to talk about Mm -hmm. that gives us absolutely uh, this is not a a classic progressive collapse, as NIST claims. Mm -hmm. They claim that the upper part of the North Tower and the South Tower drove the rest of the building down to the ground and then destroyed itself. Well, that violates Newton's third law of physics. There's an equal and opposite destruction when two bodies collide. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. the top part is the lightest. It's the weakest. It would have crushed it. It, it, it destroyed itself, even c- coming into contact with the first part of the cold, hard, heavy steel intact mm-hmm. um, and not hot. Uh, so uh, that that gives it away but what really gives it away is the videos they don't show in these towers either um of uh, any of the videos a a a top section driving the rest of the building down to the ground uh at all that's right it would have to be a little bit of a delay it had to be a little bit of delay as one section hits the next one you know it would go down it would have jolted but it's a sudden smooth transition the upper part is destroying itself Actually, it's not driving the rest of the building down to the ground. It's telescoping in on itself, disintegrating its internal cohesive structure. And you see these squibs coming out, uh, particularly the uh, South Tower. Um, dozens of them, squibs, are isolated explosive ejections. And they're emerging simultaneously out of the South Tower. Uh, and you're going, What's that? You have to kind of look for some of these videos, but they're mm-hmm. they're everywhere to find. Well, it begins to tip over the South Tower, but the as it's doing that, these explosions are coming off of it, and um, it 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 then begins to settle back because it lost its internal uh, integrity there. Mm-hmm. Well, after the first three seconds, it's a very different story because, well, uh, the. Then is when we have these belt of explosions down below that the first responders heard, 156 of them are on record orally in the uh, oral recordings, they called them, by Thomas Von Essen, the chief fire commissioner. He he required everybody to be recorded because he didn't want the memory to be reshaped Mm -hmm. by a collective memory, because his words... Well, 156 of these first responders talking about explosions, hearing explosions, seeing explosions, being blown around the building by explosions, like a belt, all these explosions going all the way around the the building. Others further away said, like a train running under my feet. Uh, I I, like you wanted to grab onto something. Uh, The the firefighters uh, said, like, boom, 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 boom. like they wanted to take down a building. Mm-hmm. Uh, we these are all on record. Yes. Some of them are at least and more uh, just on video. It's incredible. But then uh, the building comes down uh, in just twelve seconds. Both of them identically. I mean, these are very different um, uh, damage patterns to these buildings through the fires and the planes, the, the columns breaking. But they all come down symmetrically, uniformly. Uh, and you can see the belts of explosions advancing rapidly down the face of the building. Uh, individual explosions, uh, 12 yes. of them, you can, you can actually count them in the close-up. You, you can't, but don't believe your lying eyes. Just listen to the government. <laughs> it's crazy. Yeah. And, you know, as you pointed out, it's not just the free fall collapse, 
But we've had a lot of fires before and even since we have steel buildings that will burn for days. And I've, I've shown those when they happen. You see a twisted metal skeleton, but it doesn't collapse. You know, it might no, be bent over a little bit and, and everything, but it's still there because of that steel frame, even though the thing burned for days. And, and so nothing makes sense out of this as an architect. You know, when you look at this, one of the big smoking guns about this as well is why haven't there been any changes in the way that they do firefighting? Why haven't there been any changes in architectural rules? Why there, haven't there been any lawsuits against the people who designed this building or against uh, the, uh, you know, the New York where they had the code and they did the inspection on this because they had already had a, a plane that had hit the Empire State Building way back when. And uh, so they they knew that was a possibility. That was something that they designed for, right? Yep, uh, they did. John, John Skilling said uh, the this plane could take two hits from a seven oh seven, which when they were built in seventy three was the the largest building uh, to plane of its kind. Uh, but the problem would be, he said, that the fuel would dump into the building, but the building would still be there. Mm-hmm. Well, it's fireproofed. Mm-hmm. Uh, yes, it, it it should have still <clears throat> been there. Um, it, but if we look, we can get a clue, David, if we actually look at the, uh, in, in the dust, in the aftermath, what does the U.S. Geological Survey find in every sample, previously molten iron microspheres, billions of them, all the samples, up to 6% uh, percent of some of these samples, all of them are molten iron microspheres. What does that mean? Iron. We haven't used iron in our skyscrapers for 100 years. This is elemental iron, not mm. steel. Mm. Uh, it's molten, meaning it, it achieved 2,800 degree temperatures, which fires don't even get a quarter that hot typically. Mm. These fires were probably less than that because they're indicated by the thick black smoke. They were going out at the time of, of the uh, collapse. They were oxygen starved. Mm. So... We the, the USGS finds these microspheres spheres because aerosolized liquids form themselves into spheres that, uh, by surface tension. That's just what they do. Mm-hmm. The EPA says we don't know what these molten iron microspheres are or where they came from, but they're a signature component of the World Trade Center dust. In other words, it's not even World Trade Center dust unless it has these billions of microspheres in them. R.J. Lee, an environmental concern. Uh, confirmed doing work uh, on the this dust says these are formed not before by the the, the uh, when the building was being built by the welders not afterward uh, by the iron workers taking it apart but during mm. the mm-hmm. event mm-hmm. well wait mm-hmm. a minute what does that mean iron molten iron is the byproduct of thermite thermite is an incendiary used by the military to cut through steel like a hot knife through butter. Mm-hmm. So we have all the dust giving us exactly what happened here. We're talking about thermite, uh, the re- residue of thermite everywhere in the dust, every sample. In fact, the an eight, a team of eight international scientists led by Niels Harrod in Copenhagen find all of those, and they confirm that, but they also confirm something that uh, others had not found. Uh, and this is uh, little chips of red gray material. Uh, they thought it was paint, but it's attracted to a magnet. So it has a high iron content. Mm-hmm. Well, they go, well, this is interesting. 
Why does it have a high iron content? They do XEDS analysis, X-ray energy dispersive spectroscopy. What do they find? Aluminum and iron, the key ingredients of thermite mm-hmm. in the red layer of these dual-layered red-gray chips. They go, whoa, we got to get to the bottom of this. Uh, they zoom in 50,000 times and they find nanoparticles of iron oxide and aluminum powder. Now we're talking about super thermite, nanothermite. They identify it as thermite because not only do they know the key ingredients, they put it in a heater, a differential scanning calorimeter, and it ignites. What does it do when it ignites? It makes all of these molten iron microspheres. Wow. with the same chemical signature as the molten iron microspheres found in the dust by the U.S. Geological Survey, R.J. Lee, and others. So we know exactly where those molten iron microspheres came from. They came from these red-gray chips. So we have unignited uh, evidence of unignited thermite in the molten iron microspheres and evidence of ignited thermite. I got it backwards. Ignited thermite in the molten iron microspheres, unignited thermite in these red-gray chips, which are ubiquitous in all the seven samples that they had independently collected uh, all over Manhattan. Wow. From all over Manhattan that they were sent to them. So uh, this is pretty incredible because when you reduce the size of these uh, uh, particles in these chips to nano, that's a thousand times smaller than the diameter of a human hair. Uh, the surface volume increases exponentially. So the chemical reaction is virtually instantaneous. You've engineered an incendiary, which works by means of massive heat, uh, to become more explosive, which works by thing by knocking things over. In fact, kind of what we let me interject and say it's kind of like what we see when we'll see a, a grain elevator explode or something. It's because the fine uh, fine yes. particles there can ignite because of the increase in the surface area. Yeah. This is something it's that pretty, is already set up to ignite in the first place. <laughs> <laughs> well, you mean the grain elevator? Uh, yeah, yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it's not it's, a grain. It's, it's small particles of grain. But, you know, when you talk about uh, uh, this, it's small particles of thermite. <laughs> right. Well, where does it come from? Uh, right. I mean, thermite is made only in the most advanced defense contracting laboratories. Excuse me, nanothermite. This is very special. Mm-hmm. Lawrence Livermore exposed this to us before 19, uh, before 2001. They, they developed the peer-reviewed literature on it. They called it super thermite. Uh, they did these tests on it, and yeah, it ignites at 758 degrees in, in the in the differential scanning calorimeter, and that's exactly what these seven independent samples did. So we know exactly what this stuff is. They put out a 24-page peer-reviewed paper on this in the Bentham Open Chemical Physics Journal in 2009. And uh, it's literal proof uh, now we've had for, you know, more than 10 years uh, of this material. But yet nobody submitted their own peer-reviewed paper to challenge these uh, results. It stands uncontested. So, I mean, people will say, oh, that's just paint. But it's been proven six ways from Sunday that these are extremely exotic materials and responsible for the destruction of all three World Trade Center skyscrapers on wow. 9-11. Wow. If we got it into a court of law, David, it would put uh, the real perpetrators away for mass murder and treason. 
Yes. Yeah, it reminds me of uh, what happened a week after 9-11. That's the anthrax attacks. At first, they said, well, this is coming from Iraq. And then they said, well, uh, no, it's a special kind of uh, anthrax. And then as they look further, as they tried to found a patsy they wanted to blame it on, turns out that the delivery mechanism, just like you're talking about how this is not just ordinary thermite, it's super thermite. Uh, they found that the delivery mechanism for this anthrax was also something that was limited to just two labs uh, in the United yeah, States. The and of course, they're, yeah, they, and of course, this guy that they'd picked for the Patsy didn't work at one of those two labs. I mean, the, the bottom line is, is that the technology is, is very advanced. It allows them to get away with this stuff. But it also points directly to them at the same time. Yes, we, it? it's a it's a blessing yeah. that they've left us with. They do make mistakes. Mm-hmm. I mean, they're big. They they've got lots of money. Uh, they've got uh, evil intentions. It seems that they're murdering three thousand of their own people here. And yes, and you know, since in the in the latest uh, uh, false flag operation in the last three years with the disease that's going around, yeah. it's false disease with its false solution. Um, they, they've got a lot of power and influence, obviously, yeah. but we well, capitalize you know, on. And they just had uh, this last week, just before the anniversary, they said that they used DNA to identify two more victims of this. And they seem to find the victims just before the anniversaries, you know, when, when this starts to happen. And there's still over a thousand people that disappeared on that day that they have not uh, identified, they said, with DNA. Let's talk a little bit about the, the symmetry and the pile and the destruction of evidence. Well, um, in the pile, first of all, you brought this up. This is extremely important. Uh, There's more than 1,100 people for which there was no trace found. Mm. I mean, 6,000 pieces they did find were small enough to fit into a test tube. Wow. And they were distributed six to 800 feet outside each of the towers. So the explosive mechanism was incredible. I mean, yes, we found 300 whole bodies. We, we should have found 3,300, um, 3,700 um, A lot of people uh, just bodies. literally blown to bits. Absolutely. In yeah. fact, there were bone fragments a half an inch long wow. uh, found on top of the, the uh, roof uh, of the Deutsche Bank building across the street from the South Tower. Uh, how did they get there? Mm-hmm. Uh, we're we're talking, these bodies should have been trapped between 110 floors, yes. uh, each of which uh, is made of four and eight inch thick concrete, uh, and none of which are found at the base of the tower. Uh, we don't have these acre, an acre in size, these floors. Uh, we don't have 50 of them. We don't have 10 of them. We don't have one of them. What we do have at the base is a four, five-story pile of twisted steel. Mm. Where's the concrete? It's been pulverized in midair. All the photos, all the videos show just that. And it's been laid like a blanket of 100 micron average size dust across lower Manhattan from river to river. Mm. Three square miles of dust. That's where the concrete is, which means what? That the concrete is not available to crush the building right if it's been distributed and pulverized in midair well neither is the steel uh about 95 percent or more of the steel has been ejected laterally like we talked about outside the building's footprint that's a hundred thousand tons of steel 
uh, that's not available to crush the building either. And yet that's the whole theory of mist. It's there's so many ways to take apart that that story. They they said it drove the building down to the ground. It wasn't there yeah. to drive the building down to the ground. And yes, the, the, the North Tower particularly came out almost symmetrical, which means all of those columns had to give way at once. Otherwise, it would have tipped over. Like you said, no jolt. It would have hit the cold, hard, intact steel. Uh, it might have fallen over if it was to be that badly damaged. But in reality, the initiation of collapse never would have started. And if it did, it would have slowed down and stopped. That's been proven by physicists as well. But we don't have the platform that we need to prove these things. Yes. Yeah. So much for the domino theory of NIST, right? I mean, we've had domino theories that light us into a, a Vietnam War. Now we have this domino theory about the collapse of the buildings. It absolutely yeah. is amazing. Yeah, much of that. Uh, very, you're very thorough in terms of this. And of course, you've been on this for a very, very long time. Uh, what about the, the destruction of the evidence? I remember a lot of people that are still suffering uh, after all these years was because they were so... Um, uh, bent on getting this stuff removed as much of it as they could and uh, subjecting people to the dust because uh, at that point in time, they didn't care about masks. They care all, all about masks now, but they didn't then. And so it was a mad rush to uh, remove a lot of this evidence, a lot of stuff that was still burning, right? Yeah, within two weeks after 9-11, um, th this evidence is taken out from under the noses of those who would investigate it like structural <clears throat> engineer Abel Hazan Astani Azel from UC Berkeley, given a National Science Foundation grant to study the steel. He said they're taking all the steel to China for, for to hmm. put in, in a melting pot uh, for 15 cents a pound. That's nothing. That's what he says. Yeah. And others couldn't get their hands on it to do a proper forensic investigation. 400 truckloads per day were lined up starting just two weeks after 9-11, taking this to put it steel and putting it on barges sent to China for recycling. Wow. I mean, uh, and, and, and prompting Bill Manning, editor-in-chief of Fire Engineering Magazine, to cry out uh, on his magazine, the, mag the magazine that ties all the fire protection engineers together in this country, uh, crucial evidence, he says, is on the slow boat to China, showing an astounding ignorance of government officials to the value of a thorough scientific investigation. Uh, the, the destruction of evidence must stop. <laughs> it didn't, of course. <laughs> wow. uh, it continued uh, at an incredible pace. This is the illegal destruction of evidence in a crime scene. But guess what? This was an act of war because of the attack on the Pentagon. Mm -hmm. So they were not bound. They they said or imagined uh, by the rules of preservation of evidence. Wow. Yeah, it was an attack of war, wasn't it? But uh, not from the people that they identified. And that's the key thing when you look at this. The government story, uh, regardless of what happened, the government story is just not even close to being possible. And, and that's why uh, you got involved in this, uh, investigating it. Uh, talk, talk about the jet planes themselves and uh, information that you found from that. Well, we know the planes hit the towers, but we don't know what planes hit the towers. There's all kinds of problems matching serial numbers. Mm -hmm. I do have firefighters that were picking up plane parts. There's some people who say there's no planes, but uh, we have lots of evidence of, of 
of planes. They're picking them up. They're putting them in the bin. The FBI supervising that part of it so they can control it, certainly, because mm-hmm. uh, they don't want <laughs> they don't want those parts getting out. They got the wrong serial. What does that mean? <laughs> well, if you were going to execute a plan to bring down the tallest buildings in the world, at least in 1973, and uh, one of the largest in Manhattan, each 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 floor of this building was the size of a football field. Um, mm-hmm. Would you trust? And this one wasn't hit by a plane, of course, <laughs> it mm-hmm. came down anyway. But for these two, would you trust? Uh, hijackers who failed Cessna flying school to bring those planes to their targets. Uh, Probably (laughs) not. In fact, there was remotely guided uh, uh, aircraft technology in those planes at the time, though it was not well known. And this has been researched by several others, including Captain Dan Hanley, uh, who who runs uh, pilot whistleblowers. Mm -hmm. And, uh, 911pilots.org. You can learn more about that. Um, but yeah, uh, there, there's there's some real problems with these with these planes. Were they switched out? Were more uh, refined military craft used with the same fuselage and wings, uh, which they had? And, and some people actually s- said they saw uh, a a gray plane. So were they even, did they have time to paint it? I don't even know. Hmm. Um, now, when you but, say the uh, different serial numbers, uh, where did that, uh, where the different serial numbers come from? Well, that's did they find pieces be, or what? They, well, well uh, I don't have the details on that, David. Mm-hmm. Um, there's some things I research and there's some things I, I, I hear that have been researched. That research does exist. Sure. I'm not the source of it, and on my top of my head, I I can't take you there. Oh, that's um, fine. Yeah, that's not you. You focus more on the architectural stuff in the buildings. You know, I find it interesting, and I've said this before, that there it really wasn't. E- even though we knew that there was remote control capability for um, you know commercial jets and things like that, because they had used remote control to crash them as they would look to see what happened to occupants inside during a crash, just like you got crash test dummies for cars. They did that for airplanes for years. And, um, yeah. and then immediately after this, you, you've got the, the war in Afghanistan. Uh, the stars of the war were the uh, autonomous uh, drones and things like that. And so, you know, they, they come out here. Oh, by the way, you know, it's uh, we got this fleet of these things now. You know, they kind of kept it under wraps uh, in terms of doing that. But even going back uh, back into the 1960s, they'd even talked about an Operation Northwoods that uh, they would do exactly this type of thing in order to create public opinion around uh, a, a, an attack on Cuba. So we could fly these planes into buildings. We could take them out and, and fake the fact that um, there are people on board and say it was blown up over the sea. Uh, we could even use it to attack military uh, stations. And we could use all that then and identify Cuba as the people doing it in a false flag operation. Uh, that was what Operation Northwoods was all about. They had proposed that. JFK shut it down. Uh, but they had already proposed that back in the early 1960s. And so for the longest time, they'd had the capability of doing remote control commercial jets. Uh, you know, it was nothing new, even though it seemed new to the public, it was not in the public eye. Mm. And in, in fact, um, the remote control goes all the way back to uh, World War II, mm-hmm. uh, where, where we even had remote control uh, 
they, we didn't have to use kamikazes. Uh, but that there, there's a plane in Florida, in an air museum, Air Force Museum, uh, that is is noted uh, specifically for its remote control capability back in World War II. So this mm-hmm. is not, you know, some kind of sci-fi thing, mm-hmm. uh, futuristic. Uh, talk about, uh, did you get involved, were you primarily involved with the three buildings in, in New York? And of course, that's a key part of it. You know, everybody says, well, you know, it was hit by a plane and then it caught on fire in the plane and... But, you know, the, the airplane fuel and everything, they believe that that would uh, do that. And you've ta- you've addressed that. But the Building 7 was a key thing because it was not hit by an airplane. It wasn't loaded with airplane fuel and all the rest of the stuff. It's why they don't like to talk about Building 7. Uh, well, even but, NIST. Mm-hmm. Yeah, NIST, NIST says in, in the case of the planes that did hit these, uh, 90% of the fuel was burned up outside the building. NIST is the National Institute mm-hmm. of Standards and Technology who was tasked by Congress to explain these collapses to the American people. Uh, they said the rest was gone, burned up in just 10 minutes. Mm-hmm. So we didn't have any jet fuel in these buildings uh, for about an hour while they were burning, uh, almost an hour, mm-hmm. less than the South Tower. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, so, yeah, you're right. It, but, you know, the public perception is, uh, well, you know, of course they collapsed. They were hit by jets and all this kind of, but building seven was not hit by a jet. You know, the key thing is three buildings, but only two planes, you know, and that that's the key. Yeah, do key the math. Issue here. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's like two plus two <laughs> equals five, you know, it's. Um, <laughs> and you've got witnesses that hear explosions here. Mm-hmm. Uh, Kevin McPadden says like, boom, like you like you were you wanted to grab onto something. I knew that was an explosion. You know, because mm-hmm. people who tell the truth around these matters, they get ridiculed. And so they, they try to be very specific. The first responders were extremely specific with regard to their quotes before the towers came down. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then many of them saw flashes of light. Uh, but in, in uh, uh, Daryl, a medical student in, in the case of Building 7, uh, says we were watching the building and there was a, a, a clap of thunder uh, and... Uh, the, then the building came down, crashing crashing down. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah that's interesting. very specific. Wow. Bill Rosati says there's a flash of light in this building uh, and uh, an allowed explosion. Wow. Uh, well, so well, give we've us got all idea. the evidence we need. Uh, have you uh, been focused on the Pentagon uh, and uh, what happened there? Or are you primarily focused on the New York buildings? Yeah, I am focused on the New York buildings, but uh, at the Pentagon, while there's controversy um, among 9-11 truth researchers about what did or didn't hit it, all of us agree that we need a new investigation. For Mm -hmm. instance, we have uh, Honey Honjur, who failed Cessna flying school himself, uh, who is said to have maneuvered this uh, 757 coming into the Pentagon uh, not dropping into through the vulnerable roof structure to Donald Rumsfeld's office. No, that could have been done, uh, a dive bomb. But a a 270-degree turn and, uh, and dropping 3,000 feet per minute in what's more of a fighter jet-type mm-hmm. maneuver, uh, coming straight in and level with the ground, Hitting what? The Naval Intelligence Department, who was tasked with locating and accounting for the $2.3 trillion that Donald Rumsfeld had announced the day before 9-11 was missing from 
the Pentagon budget are unaccountable uh, in it. So uh, that, that that's that's really suspicious. Oh yeah, yeah. I had a I had a friend who uh, was in the military, went to West Point. He he was telling me. You know, years before that, talking about cruise missiles and stuff, he said, you know, we can they're so accurate. We can pick which window of the Kremlin we want to fly them through. (laughs) I know. And then I had a personal experience, which I I was caught between Karen and I, my wife, were in this um, uh, tourist shop in an area in Texas and um, down in Wimberley. And there was a lady there and she and her husband had retired from the military. And it was a slow season. And my wife is looking through and I'm just kind of standing there. And she was desperate to talk to somebody. She just starts monologuing about their career and how they came here. She said, you know, when I used to work for the Pentagon, we were finding trillions of dollars that were missing. And we had all kinds of people taking early retirement uh, to avoid uh, being incriminated and everything. She goes, and and then my husband retired and I followed him. We came here and did this. She said, you know, it was really a blessing because it was in my very office where that thing flew through and she could not connect the dots. It's just amazing. You know, she did not connect the dots. I said, who do you listen to for news? (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> some fox exactly. and cnn and stuff like that it's like okay okay and she's never heard anybody question that i imagine if she heard it it would all of a sudden it would click with her like that but it didn't and and you know i'm sitting there i'm thinking i need to get my phone out and start recording this but I, I was afraid she was going to stop talking so i just you, you need to sick go. me on her uh, everybody who sees <laughs> no. this evidence and we're just talking about it right david but mm-hmm. what i i have a a, a 30 minute an hour and a two hour presentation that i I do on these subjects and it is overwhelming to watch this building seven dropping as fast as a bowling ball falling out of the sky we've all seen the old hotel so we know immediately what it is yeah we know it was taken out therefore we know it was part of the 9-11 conspiracy mm. i mean uh there's it had to it takes months of planning to execute these controlled demolitions Mm -hmm. so and and building seven they say nobody died in this building although there's one witness barry jennings who says he was crawling over dead bodies to get out of that building um uh regardless uh the public is more open to building seven because it doesn't have the trauma associated with all of those deaths mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. the incredible jumping out of the plane out of the building and then the planes hitting uh the buildings so we start with building seven and people go oh of course that's a controlled demolition that's what we do at the uh, american institute of architects conventions mm-hmm. before they kicked us out we had gone to five of these conventions and <laughs> architects stop we're the busiest booth there they come around and they just look at this controlled demolition. We say, well, do you know when this happened? Because they say it's a controlled demolition on the on the monitor in front of them. And we go, uh, they, they go, no, I don't know when that happened. Well, that happened on 9-11. What? <laughs> That's not a twin tower. No, it's not. This is the third tower. We tell them what happened. And uh, then they're open to looking at the towers and all of the incredible uh, evidence that we have there, just like a geometry of fireworks, mm-hmm. uh, freely flying structural steel sections, uh, laterally distributed, trailing thick white smoke clouds on fire, mm-hmm. uh, which is the thermite, of course, uh, and and can only be that. It looks more like a volcanic eruption in the Tongan Sea in 2009. Mm-hmm. We show them that and compare the two. You can't tell the difference. Wow. 
Wow, that's amazing. Uh, what about um, you know the uh, was it Shell Silverstein? Was that his name? That had buildings uh, same Larry Silverstein. Okay, yeah, yeah. Well, let me say because yeah. that that's that's really important. A, a year later, Larry Silverstein's interviewed on America Rebuilds, and uh, he's talking about Building Seven. He's asked about it. And he goes, "Oh well, uh, there's been such terrible loss of life." I was talking to the fire commander. M- maybe the smartest thing to do is pull. Yeah, and so they gave the order to pull, and we watched the building come down. That's <laughs> that's the owner who built this building here. He says later, "Oh, I didn't mean pull the building. I meant pull the firefighters out of the building." Yeah. Well, guess what? They weren't <laughs> in the building. They were told not to fight the fire. They were told it was going to come down because the structure was weakened. Mm-hmm. It, it could come down on its own. So we're just going to wait. So hundreds of firefighters were nearby watching the building with these few small scattered fires that were in it. And uh, they're waiting for it to come down. And sure enough, after these mysterious construction workers walking away from Building 7, hearing an explosion over their shoulder in the late afternoon of 9-11, looking back at the building and then looking straight into the CNN camera and saying this, hear that? That building's coming down. A flame and debris coming down. Yeah, it's going to blow up. <laughs> wow! Wow! Truly, what? it's amazing. It has a few small scattered fires. <laughs> yeah, it is. Yeah, and and it's uh, so. So, what is the status of, of 9/11? I mean, uh, many of us have looked at this. The evidence that, that you have given is just astounding, and it demands an answer. And uh, and yet. Um, Everybody seems to turn a blind eye to it for the most part in official circles. What What is the status well, of any investigation? Yeah, what is the hope of any investigation with this? They're on notice. All 435 members of Congress, or is it 535? Right? Mm-hmm. Uh, we've given them uh, our, our petition. Uh, every third year or so, we go to Washington, D.C., we give them uh, the, the latest DVD, the latest book, the latest uh, efforts we're making. We talk to their staffers. They're they're very uh, interested. Uh, they, they say, oh, "I'm going to get this in to, to the congressperson. This is this is really important." But nothing ever happens. Yeah. So they're they're going to be held accountable one way or another. The media, of course, won't even talk to us. They won't. We we we've given. Well, that's not completely true. Geraldo Rivera had one of the family members, one of the uh, engineers, on, and he said, "Oh, well, I this looks." looks suspicious to me, particularly Building 7. Uh, now I know why there's 1,350 architects and engineers demanding a new investigation. Mm-hmm. Well, uh, there's 3,600 now, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm separated from uh, the organization, Architects and Engineers for 9-11 Truth, but they continue focusing on getting the engineers going. I work on the public and... Um, and the media where 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 i can get in mm-hmm. but the mm-hmm. the way we're going to get a real investigation uh is by uh, educating the public and getting a grand jury investigation which is why we've submitted this evidence in 60 exhibits to the u.s attorney for a special grand jury investigation now he's done nothing with it and so we've sued him mm-hmm. and that's gone through the legal process and now we're going to be taking the evidence to a a federal judge to be given directly to a special grand jury. And we're making a set of uh, film, 9-11 crime scene to courtroom. 
And that is a series of two dozen episodes with uh, myself and 24 experts giving the evidence in, in a boardroom jury, a grand jury setting with our stand-in grand jurors. We present all the evidence and Mick Harrison, the litigation director for the Lawyers Committee for 9-11 Inquiry, whose board I sit on also, mm-hmm. we're partnering and making this film. He's going to be educating the grand jury and the public about what are the implications of each different type of evidence that we're going to be presenting, eyewitness testimony, forensic evidence, etc. And uh, the, he'll give them their opportunities to subpoena people who might they subpoena for more information about this. What are their duties, their obligations? So uh, it's it's an extraordinary film. We filmed it already in Washington, D.C. We're raising funds for the completion of it in post-production. And so people can actually get this film uh, produced by becoming a co-producer. And your name's on the credits with a $500 donation. So all of that can be done here at richardgage911.org. So we encourage uh, you guys to help us. That's great. Yeah. And, and so, yeah, richardgage911.org. And uh, people can help to crowdfund that and to complete it because you've already, um, as you said, you filmed a great deal of it. I uh, just need to get that together. That would be very important to do. You know, uh, Richard, I was um, I was talking to Jay Warner Wallace a couple of weeks ago. Um, he is a cold case detective. And they would go back oh. and look at... Um, at murder scenes uh, where all they've got is the evidence and and the people, the witnesses uh, to the crime or whatever have uh, long since died. The detectives have died, but they've got that stuff there. That's why what you're doing is so important. And of course he, he eventually became a Christian and he applied those same types of investigation to uh, looking at the veracity of the biblical account, Christian account. Uh, But the key is what we're looking at here is we've got uh, over 3,000 murders just in uh, New York. Uh, this is something that is not going to go away. And just as we see with JFK's situation, there's a lot of people who have um, uh, maybe not yet come forward, but you have collected so much information, that ought to be damning in and of itself. And uh, this is something that may be done by future generations, but the truth will eventually be discovered. And I think it'll happen when the people who have a vested interest in the lies have been removed from the scene. I think that the most important thing to do, certainly we need to uh, raise the awareness of people to ask for an investigation, but by collecting this information as you've done and you continue to do, um, it is going to be a, a body of evidence that is eventually going to show what the truth is about 9-11, I believe. Yeah, I do too, David, and that's why I'm still at it 18 years later. Wow. I got really angry when yes. I heard about this in 2006, and I, uh, it's been fueling me ever since. Uh, the, this, the justice for the 9-11 victims' family members is my primary motivation. That's right. Yeah, it's hard to get your head around the death of that many people. And, you know, we looked at the beginning. I came at this from, look at how they're using this, right? How they're using this to destroy the Constitution. And they've laid so many uh, authoritarian foundations for our government by using this event uh and, and that in and of itself is is criminal by itself uh and and that's another angle of attack to this but the deaths of these people i think this is going to continue to go on i think people are going to demand an answer to this stuff and um, the evidence that you guys have put together uh, continues to expand uh, you know uh, people are still looking at this and it is going to continue to expand because there is so much evidence there 
uh, people can continue to investigate that, and the investigation is going to continue till we get to the end of this. Again, you know, when you look at these architects and engineers, and they and does to me another smoking gun about this is just the fact that they haven't changed any firefighting procedures, they haven't changed any. Uh, building codes based on this they want us to believe that this is an ordinary fire that took down building seven but no building code changes is that correct are you aware of any there's no changes to the structural codes uh at all there's they've added some fireproofing they've added added some stairs get people out faster but nothing to keep a a building from free falling due to a few small scattered fires so that's telling it's extremely telling and the firefighting policies they're still going into burning buildings without fear yeah. of them coming down because they don't know about Building 7. It wasn't the big controversy in architecture or in uh, firefighting manuals. The NFPA doesn't even discuss it, and yet is the third worst structural failure in modern history due to fires. And the National Fire Protection Association is, is ignoring it, which is why we went to their convention in, in uh, Las Vegas this summer and before that, Boston. Oh, good. Last year. Good. And we had a booth and we had firefighters there with us. Eric Lawyer of Firefighters for 9-11 Truth and I and others were educating fire protection engineers. We had the monitor up. They come by. Did you know when this building came down? Oh, no. Uh, Again, the whole story. They're just blown away because we we go into, they say we go into uh, skyscrapers uh, routinely. To, to put out fires, big fires, much bigger than the few small uh, fires they had in Building 7. Yeah. So uh, their policies have not changed. because And, and I'm one of 90,000 members of the American Institute of Architects, and we have not received one bulletin on this major disaster of a collapse. Uh, it, it, it wasn't, it was just completely swept under the rug. Oh yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I remember years ago, I talked to Tony Rook of the UK and they were trying to get firefighters together there to ask these same questions, you know, because they're using the same kind of rules uh, as, as we do, same kind of, uh, guidelines for the building of that. Do you realize building seven wasn't hit by a plane that burned down ordinary fire, supposedly according to them? Why aren't we changing anything that we do? And, um, so this is, this is a, a, a concern that um, beyond this country in terms of people looking at these rules. Tell us what you're doing today in New York. I know you're there for a special event. Yep, it's an exciting day uh, for uh, those of us who have uh, the passion in our hearts to reach the public. Um, I, I know it's, 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 a, it's, a, it's, a, it's a very sorrowful day, too, because we lost so many. Yes. But this is the opportunity for us to tell them the truth uh, about uh, those who died and, and, and how and why. Uh, some people get into the why. I don't as much. But we'll be at Ground Zero on Vesey Street near Building 7 uh, all day. And we, we brought uh, hundreds and hundreds of brochures to hand out. Uh, we're going to be telling people uh, that right there stood uh, building seven, uh, 47 stories. It came down to, it wasn't hit by a plane. Did you hear about it? I heard something about it. It's fairly typical, but then you can give them the facts and they just wake up yeah. We give them the, the brochure, which has a complete outline of all the information we discussed, which is by the way, available, uh, uh, our, our brochure, our DVDs, the documentary, 9-11 explosive evidence experts speak out is on our website. 
uh, richardgage911.org. But th- th- we, we tell them all of this, and some there's some people who can't hear it, David. Mm-hmm. They'll, they'll get angry. And, uh, and, and we give them love. Mm-hmm. Uh, we mm-hmm. were there, too. I was. I wanted to go into Afghanistan and Iraq and get those you-know-whats that did this to us. Right. I was a flag-waving Reagan Republican. When I heard David Ray Griffin on the radio in the San Francisco Bay Area, um, March tw- 29th, my world turned upside down as I was hearing this evidence and went to see him speak the next night. They were sold out. 600 people packed in the Grand Lake Theater. I had to go home and watch on live stream. Wow. Uh, I, I, had to, I had to prove this. So I, I did a, made a PowerPoint. I took it to the firm I worked for, 14 architects, because they had thought I was kind of nuts. But over the next couple of months, I assembled this research. I took it to them. I bought them pizza. I made them come in <laughs> and uh, bribed them. 45 minutes of visual technical evidence, all of them agreed. Oh, my God, you're right. These are controlled demolitions. We've got to have a real investigation. Now there's 3,600 architects and engineers demanding just that. Well, thank you so much for for caring about the truth and and your uh, consistent uh, holding to it and pushing for it. You know, that's the key thing. If you've got the truth. Uh, it's the other people who run away from this, the other people who don't want to debate it, the other people who don't want to show what is there. Uh, you've got the truth. You're not con- you're not worried about debating it. Now, the documentary you mentioned, Explosive Evidence, that's at uh, richardgage911.org. That is not the one that is, is currently under crowdsourcing. Right? There's already one that's finished. Is that correct? No. Yeah, that one uh, combined experts. And uh, that was made 10 years ago. 9-11 Explosive Evidence. Now we're we're, jump- we're, we're it's we're propelling it into into a new dimension uh 9-11 crime scene to courtroom that, that's the one that we're uh, finishing up we've already filmed it mm-hmm. it's been filmed in washington dc at the supreme court and at our venue for a special grand jury uh, investigation it's 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 extraordinary. It's the most comprehensive body of evidence we've ever compiled also, That's which is why it's 24 episodes, but they range from 10 minutes to 20 minutes each. That's great. Well, you know, that's the key thing. And and again, I, I just want to thank you because I know that it's difficult to swim against the tide. And, you know, when you tell somebody something that they don't want to believe, they've already heard something else and the government is pushing and all the authorities and the experts are pushing in a different direction. And this is settled. You know, we hear that we got settled science about climate. We've got settled science about the pandemic and all the rest of the stuff. And when the yeah. experts and the government are all telling you this and you come out with it, you know, then they've got these uh pejorative terms that they throw at you conspiracy theorists and all the rest of the stuff you're a lunatic your tinfoil hat and the rest of this so kudos to you for standing by what you know to be true for so many years and for pushing this it is making a difference the truth is eventually going to be understood by the wide majority of people and uh, the people who are going to be um tart and feathered uh by future generations uh in retrospect are the people who lied to us and who continue to cover this stuff up. So thank you so much for doing that. Uh, Again, it is richardgage911.org. And um, I even had someone, Richard, uh, contact me. We'd already set up the interview and he said, I hope you cover 9-11 on Monday. I'm in New York. So uh, that listener, you can find uh, Richard there at the site of Building 7. And uh, he'll be there all day, right? Is that correct? Yep. 
Okay. You bet. Good. Thank you so much for what you're doing. A tireless uh, pursuit of truth. Uh, we'll be right back, folks. Stay with us. Thank you. The Common Man. They created Common Core to dumb down our children. They created Common Past to track and control us. Their Commons Project to make sure the commoners own nothing and the communist future. They see the common man as simple, unsophisticated, ordinary. But each of us has worth and dignity created in the image of God. That is what we have in common. That is what they want to take away. Their most powerful weapons are isolation, deception, intimidation. They desire to know everything about us while they hide everything from us. It's time to turn that around and expose what they want to hide. Please share the information and links you'll find at thedavidnightshow.com. Thank you for listening. Thank you for sharing. If you can't support us financially, please keep us in your prayers. thedavidnightshow.com.